grew up in the church. Um, I, you know, went to church every Sunday, um, attended CCD class, and did everything I was supposed to do. But um, growing up, it was just actions. It was something that we did and we didn't necessarily talk about. Um, so when we started coming to Blessed Hope, um, learning about small groups and the importance of small groups, it terrified me. I was always afraid that I just didn't know enough about the Bible. Um, I didn't want to stand out as that person that didn't know what I was talking about, or maybe I interpreted it the wrong way. Um, I felt like I would, if I joined a small group, I would have been in a group full of people that have been doing this forever, that know the Bible, that know exactly um, what they're talking about. I don't normally share a lot about myself or what's going on in my life, so, you know, having that group, um, that I would have to or that I would be, you know, that other people were sharing stuff, it, it was definitely scary for me to, to have, you know, to put myself in that situation to where I would be opening up in front of a bunch of people that I didn't necessarily know or know well. I have been feeling like I needed more for a long time. Um, I've been feeling that push, like going through the actions isn't enough anymore. Um, I want to be doing something. I want to be um, serving God. I want to be open with my faith um, and sharing that with other people. During the small group, um, I think it was great timing uh, because I was going through a lot of stuff health-wise um, during that time and, you know, I probably would not have shared any of that, um, you know, if I were not in small group. I do because I keep a lot of things to myself. You just kind of have this calmness after after that, knowing everybody's praying for you, knowing, you know, it's in God's hands and you have this group of people that are behind you to support you. I loved the relationships that I created during small group. Um, you know, it was with a great group of strong women um, who I necessarily wouldn't have talked to outside of, you know, the small group and who I love each and every one of them, um, you know, getting to know them. You know, everybody has a different personality. Everybody, you know, has something about them that you just, you learn to absolutely love and you do create those relationships with those people in your small group. Um, that's a more, it's a deeper type of relationship. You're, it's not just a superficial, you know, it wasn't a scary place to share what I felt. You know, I never felt judged. I never felt um, like I was wrong. I pictured Bible studies as sitting around and talking about the Bible, about the stories in the Bible, which you do, um, but you also apply it to your life. You are with a group of people that you learn to relate to, that you develop this connection um, with everybody. You know, you're all in different walks of life. You're all different people, not people you would necessarily know outside of church, but this brings everybody together. Um, and you all have that one common connection. So, um, for those of you that don't know, if you're visiting with us today or you're, you're just tracking, we are we're wrapping up today um, our series on um, just say yes. It's our our series where we are putting on pressure, uh, and we're not embarrassed about that. We're we're quite pleased um, because we know something. So the pressure is 
um, that you will go ahead and get plugged into a small group. And so this series, Just Say Yes, has been about debunking um, myths, small group myths, excuses that people have about not getting plugged into small groups. And um, here, here's the deal. To date, well, we'll, we'll go this way. We started with this. We started the first week of this with the big question. Again, Andy Stanley gets credit for this question. In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, my hopes and dreams for the future, what is the wise thing for me to do? Not necessarily what do I feel like I have the most time for, right? Not, do I, not necessarily what, what is the easiest thing for me to do. Um, this isn't about legal or illegal. Not what's, what's legal for me to do. This was just simply the question, what's the wisest thing for you to do? And if you are here today and you are like Julia, I don't know where Julia is. She might be downstairs. She's somewhere. I saw her. She's downstairs. Uh, did she do that on purpose because she didn't want to watch herself on the screen? <laughs> That's fine. If you're like Julia, though, and you're saying, you know what? I know I need more. And, and guys, there's two ends of the spectrum when it comes to Christianity. Um, and, and there are some of you here, let's just be clear, let's be fair. I know this, you know this. Uh, there are some of you here that, that aren't yet Christians. You haven't decided that you want to follow Jesus. Okay, and, and that's okay. We're glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're, you're figuring this out. I'm glad that you're exploring. And if we've got questions that you can answer. I mean, that's cool too. But you know what I meant. If you've got questions that we can answer, then, then we want to do that. And so we're glad that you're here. But if you're here today and you are a Christian, that means you've decided to follow Jesus. Okay, then there's really two ends of the spectrum that we fit on. And, and, and on this end of the spectrum, uh, we say, you know what? We know that following Jesus means that we take steps and that we actively pursue faith and that we grow and that we do things on purpose so that we are growing up in our faith. And the other end of the spectrum is folks that say, I got everything I need from Jesus. I'm good. I got my salvation taken care of, right? I got my ticket to heaven. I'm all set. I don't need any of that other stuff you keep trying to put my way. If you're over here, then hopefully you feel the pressure to move because this is not real Christianity. Feeling like you're all set because you've got your ticket to heaven and you're all good and you can live this life and you can do this stuff and you can be whoever you want to be and then eventually you'll die and you'll get to go to heaven. That's not what Christianity is about. Anybody that lives here, I mean, I will challenge you this right now. Anybody that lives here has not read the Gospels of Jesus Christ, the epistles in the New Testament. They've not read what real Christianity is supposed to be about because this, sitting back and just waiting until you die so you get to go to heaven, that's not at all what it is. And if you're over here where Julia was and you're saying, I need something else, I'm never done. We talked about this. You're not too busy. That was week one myth that we debunked. You're not too busy. 
You've got to choose better. What's the wisest thing for you to do? Um, you're, you're not done growing. You never get done growing. Look, listen, I am far from perfect, but I know the Bible pretty well. I, I know the Bible pretty well, right? I feel like I'm pretty spiritually grounded, and I am not done. We all have growing to do. And then last week, we talked about this idea that, well, maybe I have growing to do, but small groups, they're a little bit too touchy-feely. They're not for me. Um, and we said, no, no, no. The question wasn't about whether or not you were too manly for small groups. The question was, were you man enough to be a part of that? So that was the challenge that we put on you, and we continue this week. We continue putting pressure on, unashamedly putting pressure on, if you call Blessed Hope home, that we want you to be plugged into a small group. Too many of you try to live in one of two places, and it's over here. Too many of you try to live in this nominal place. I shouldn't say too many of you, too many of us. Too many people who call themselves Christians in the world we live in try to live right here, right? Where I can be something called a nominal Christian. Nominal simply means in name only. That's what it means. It means I claim to be a Christian, right? But I don't really get involved in church activities and I don't really go to the church. So I say, hey, I'm a Christian because I know about Jesus um, and I even want to follow Jesus maybe except not the part where he says, go, you know, join with other Christians or where he says grow in discipleship or any of those other things. I just, you know, I, I kind of like to know about him. I'm a fan of his. Then you're here. You're a nominal Christian. It's not an awesome place to be. And there's a word we're going we're gonna to live at today and what we call that is inauthentic. Basically, people that live there are inauthentic. They're claiming something, but they're refusing to live like they claim it. Because you cannot rightly claim Christ and then refuse to have anything to do with the church. And that's not me telling you that. Jesus tells you that. His disciples tell you that. The Holy Scriptures tell you that. You can't claim Jesus, and then have nothing to do with following him. And no, you cannot follow him all by your lonesome. And again, that's not me telling you that. That's the scriptures telling you that. Okay? And so this is not a place you want to be. But then what we do is we end up up here where we're anonymous, where we show up at church on Sundays, but where we don't get plugged into anything else. We show up, you know, we hear the sermon, we sing the songs, we pray the prayers, and then as soon as church is over, we're out the door, and that's it. And, and, and when you're there, you're anonymous. And, and perhaps you grow, but not like you do when you plug in and you dig deep. And so that's why we've been putting all of your elders, all of your ministry team leaders, all of the staff here at the church are plugged into leading and or attending small groups. That's why um, we do that, because we know that's critical. It's critical for growth. It's critical to be a part of a community of people that pray together, that learn together, that grow together, that share together, that do what Julia described in the video. And it's, it's critically important. And so, uh, again, unashamedly, we ask you to show up. And so here at the church, we have about, on any given Sunday... I'm sorry, I shouldn't say any given Sunday. What we have is we have about, uh, our staff here at the church did some math. I don't like math, but I did it anyway. Used all of my fingers and all of my toes. 
And here's what we came up with. We came up with that people that attend Blessed Hope regularly, adults, there's plenty of kids, we're not counting kids, um, if, and, and we're, we're talking out of high school. People that attend Blessed Hope regularly, adults that attend Blessed Hope regularly, regularly being at least once a month. Okay, now we hope it's more than that. Once a month is, that's 12 times a year. It's awfully hard to grow, right, when you're, when you're plugging in 12 times a year. But people that show up at least once a month, we minister to somewhere between 190 and 200 adults. Okay, um, so we have about 190 to 200 adults right in that window that would say, Blessed Hope is my home church, and they actually show up at least once a month. Most of them three, four times a month, but at least once a month. Okay? Of those 190 to 200 people, currently we have about 150 to 160 signed up for small groups. Okay? So that means that we've got close to 80% or so of our adults actively committing uh, to grow in and through small groups. And so here's what I want to do real quick before we, I know you're like, real quick, man, you've been going for five minutes. It's okay. But, but before we get into our text this morning, I'm going to ask you to do this. If you are signed up for a small group, okay, I'd like to ask you to stand up. It's fantastic. And here's what I want to do. Um, standing up with you um, are, are multiple people that have stepped in to lead small groups. Um, and so if you're standing up and you're signed up for a small group, I want to pray for you. Um, and so would you stay standing as long as you can? I'll try not to go um, crazy long. Um, if you need to sit, sit, but I'd like to, to just pray. Um, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for these folks that have said, I am a Christian, or I'm genuinely, earnestly seeking to find out what it means to be a Christian, and they've committed to small groups. And so, Father, we pray that as they show up at small groups, that you would remove obstacles, uh, whatever it was that was their thing that was getting in the way that they pushed past, whether it was time, uh, if it was kids uh, in different activities, if it was fear, uh, if it was um, just, just not sure that they needed it or not sure that, that, that it was um, for them. But, Father, they were bold enough to say, yes, I, I want to grow. I want to take my faith seriously. And so we, we just pray that you'll bless their time, that you'll bless their effort, that you'll bless their energy. Father, we pray that there will be tangible, like there was for Julia in the video and the other videos we've seen so far, that there will be tangible fruit in their lives because they grow. That there will be tangible movement. That they'll have more peace and less anxiety. That... that scriptural mandates for them that following jesus will become more clear less cloudy that their level of connectedness with the body of believers here at blessed hope will will increase in the feeling of isolation and i'm not sure i know people and i'm not sure i'm comfortable being that that would lessen god we pray that for these people that were bold enough to sign up that you would just have your way in their hearts and we pray for those that have committed to leading them we just empower them we just do um, good, great things through them. Things that, that perhaps they're not even prepared for you to do. Father, we ask that knowing that all of your answers in Christ Jesus are yes. And so we thank you and we praise you. Amen. 
You can be seated. Thanks for that. All right. And so today, uh, what we get to do um, is we get to continue. Uh, we continue in our series um, of Just Say Yes, and we're dealing with the last of our myths. And you heard, uh, you, you heard Julia mention it um, in her, her testimony, uh, and it's fear. Fear is the thing that keeps people, more often than not, from getting plugged in. And, and perhaps if you're here today and you're in that 20% that hasn't committed, um, perhaps fear might be something that's holding you back. And fear is the thing that gets in the way most often. When we ask people, uh, what's your hesitancy for getting plugged in? More often than not, it has to do with fear. Fear of being known. Fear of being in an awkward situation where I don't fit in. Fear that people will find out more about me than they, I want them to know. Fear that I won't know as much as everybody else. I've even talked to some of you this past sign-up session where we're getting geared up. Some of you that have said, you know, my fear is that if people really knew how I felt, if they really knew what I thought, if they really knew what I've done, not only would they not accept me in small groups, they wouldn't accept me in the church. They wouldn't accept me in the community. And, and fear drives a lot of us. But it doesn't need to. And I get it. Fear is one of those things that happens. Uh, I am a fairly confident guy. I know some of you are looking at me and going, why? It's all right, I can handle that. But I am a fairly confident guy. But I still, there are moments, there are times when I get so wildly insecure. And the truth is, I think everybody does. I think everybody battles with insecurity. Even people that act like they don't battle with insecurity, I, I'm convinced they do. We put on this false bravado, like, it doesn't matter, I, I'm overly confident. I, but no, we all battle with insecurity. Okay? And as it, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, what that is, is that's the enemy poking and twisting. Because the reality is, as a Christian, that's not the spirit you were given. Look at this. That actually should say 2 Timothy 1.7. That's my bad. I don't know what happened there. The person that does my PowerPoint really messed that up. The person that does my PowerPoint is me. And that should say 2 Timothy 1.7. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For the spirit of, that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And the word for power and self-discipline there, you can, you can use also boldness. Okay, so the spirit that God gives is not a spirit of timidity. It's not a spirit of fear. It's not a spirit of anxiety, but the spirit that God gives us is a spirit of power, boldness, love, self-discipline. And what happens is far too many Christians act like they've been given a spirit of fear. Okay, and so one of the things that we need to know jumping off is that if you are a Christian, that means that the Holy Spirit lives in you. 
Okay, that's just a reality. Read through the New Testament. That's what you'll read is that as a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It's part of 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know it. It's my favorite verse. We talk about it all the time. Uh, I got it tattooed on my arm. Doesn't matter. But therefore, um, those in Christ are a new creation. The old creation, the old you, is literally dead and gone. The new you has been born in its place. That's what it means to be born again. That Christian language we use, oh, you're a born again Christian. It just simply means that. It means that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, the old you goes away, the new you comes in its place, and we read that the Holy Spirit now lives inside of your new you as a down payment on that future glorification to help move you along as you grow and grow and grow to be more like Christ. But here's what that means. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, I promise you the Holy Spirit is not a spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit of anxiety. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit of timidity. But the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God, of boldness and power and love and self-discipline. That if you're here as a Christian, is what lives inside of you. And if you are not a Christian, and you're here this morning, and you are not a Christian, you're not following Jesus, and you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with fear, that's one of the things that God offers when he says, hey, come to me. You're weary. You're heavy laden. You're anxious. You fear. Come to me. I will give you rest. Because my yoke is easy and my burden's light. We've said this before, that following Jesus makes your life better, makes you better at life. This is one of those ways. Okay? And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, and you're a Christian that struggles with anxiety and fear, listen to me. Listen carefully. Stop it. That's helpful? <laughs> if you're a Christian that struggles with anxiety and fear, quit it. Because that's not the spirit that lives in you. You're playing a game that you don't have to play. It's like that old Bob Newhart counseling clip. Stop it! You don't have to do it anymore. That's not the spirit that lives in you. Okay? And so we're, we're dealing here um, with, with fear and anxiety and why you need to get over yourself. Okay? And you need to get over yourself because you are, I don't care how anxious you, you are, how nervous you are, first of all, it's not the spirit that God gives you. Second of all, you are necessary. You're necessary to the church. You're necessary to small groups. You're necessary to your other brothers and sisters that call Blessed Hope their home. All right, let's look at this. Matthew 5, 14 and 15 says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Okay, that's not rocket science. You don't turn on a light and then cover it up so that nobody can see it. This is, it's the simple analogy. It's like you wouldn't light a candle, right, and then throw a blanket on top of it so that nobody could see the light. Plus, it would catch on fire. It would be ugly. Don't do that. But, but that's not what you do. You light a light so that it will... Forgive me for sounding like an after-school special. You light a light so that it will shine. Which means I have to say this, and I know how cheesy it sounds, and you'll forgive me. But you were created to shine. 
like of all the cheesy things I ever thought I'd say during a sermon, that I think so far is tops on my list. I've been doing this three and a half years. Uh, that's got to be up there. I feel silly. <laughs> but you were created to shine. That's what I'm reading here. Saying, why are you nervous? Why are you timid? Why are you anxious? Why do you let that spirit of, of that stuff push you down when you were specifically created to shine. You are the light of the world. A light is worthless unless it lights stuff up. That's not rocket science. That's just easy to figure out. But you were created to be the light of the world. And so if you are timid and if you are anxious and if you are nervous and if you shut this all down, then what good are you? See, and, and this, is, this is the pressure then. The reality is you're the light of the world if you do nothing light-producing, if you do nothing to shine, if you do nothing to let other people see this light in you, then what good are you to the church? And I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm plenty good to Jesus. I don't have to be good to the church. No, 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 no. Read the Bible. Because you can't be useful to Jesus if you're worthless to the church. That's not Matt being harsh. That's Matt telling you what it says. You can't be useful to the kingdom of God if you're worthless to the church. And you can't be worth anything to the church unless you're willing to be who you're created to be, to shine. Again, I know it sounds cheesy. And there's a word of caution there. There's a word of caution that when I say, oh, you were, you were created to shine... You were created to shine in a specific way. This is not about you being like, oh, I need to be a pop star. I need to be a superstar. I need to, like, I mean, we got, we got plenty of people who act like they were created to shine, but when I say you were created to shine, you were created to shine when you take your, your, your time, your talent, your treasure, your passions, your personality, when you take everything that God created to be and you infuse it with the gospel of Jesus Christ and then you are about that. That's where you shine. I'm going to ask you to reflect on your week. Go backwards. Do it in your head. I don't know where else you'd do it. I guess you could write it down if you wanted to. But I'm going to ask you to reflect on your week. If you are here this morning and you do not claim to be a Christian... Just track with me here. You don't need to do this. If you are here this morning and you claim to be a Christian, you are counting on a ticket to heaven when you die. If you are here this morning and you claim to be a Christian, I want you to reflect on the week you just had, and I want you to ask yourself, in what way did I shine for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ this past week? And if the answer is, not at all, or if you're thinking of things that maybe might count, then my question for you is, what in the world were you doing? Because you were created to shine, and the reality is, it's not about you. But when you take your passion the way that you were wired, the person that you are, the person that God made you to be, the things that you're good at, your talents, what drives you, 
And when you infuse that with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then things happen. But when you make it about you, you get nowhere. Look at this, okay? Matthew 5, 16, finish the text. It says, you're, you're the light of the world. You were created to shine. We get here and it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? Not so that they will tell you that you're awesome. Listen, it's great when people tell you that you're awesome, right? And you want to call me up later and you'd be like, Matt, I just wanted you to know you're awesome. We got a couple of little kids here. For some reason, they like me. They think I'm awesome. Like, I walk into a room, and it's like, Pastor Matt, yes, he's here, been waiting to see him, yes, right? Hey, Greg and Jennifer, Cody and Melissa, I, like, like, they're like, yes! I mean, come on, that's cool, right? Never before have I felt so awesome as when people are, so, I mean, there's nobody else, my, my wife and kids love me, but I come home at the end of the day, and there is nobody that excited to see me. <laughs> those guys, right? We like that. That's great. That's good. People want to praise. People want to tell me that I do a great job. People want to say, you know what, man, you, you, are, you are pretty cool, and I, and, and I like when you said that, or this is a great thing, and you know, way to go, and pat me on the back, and all that. It's all fine and good, and I like it all, and I'll take it. And come on, I'm not silly. I'll take it. But it's not about that. It's not about me. It's not about you, right? This is the thing about when, when, when we, when, you, you were created to shine, but not so that people would think that you're awesome. You were created to shine so that your deeds, your behavior, your actions, that all of that will glorify your father in heaven. It really isn't about you at all. This is why we talk about fear today. Well, you got to get over your fear because God gave you a, fear, a spirit of power, not a spirit of fear, uh, a spirit of boldness, not a spirit of timidity. You know why you need to get over that? Because when you walk around acting anxious and afraid, when you won't plug into something, when you won't submit to growing to be more like Jesus because you're afraid, you know what it does? It does the opposite of glorifying your Father in heaven. And it paints this picture of a God that's weak. It paints this picture of a God that doesn't show up, paints this picture of a God who can't meet needs. And that's not who God is at all. It's not how it works. Okay, and so it becomes very, very important for us to remember that this is all about God. And one of the reasons that people are afraid, one of the reasons that people get nervous about small group is because y'all are liars. I mean, let's just be blunt. I should have said that first before I called y'all liars. And, and I don't mean y'all, myself included, but we do this thing. You know what we do? We act like we've got it all together. I mean, how many of you like go out of your way to make sure that people think and know that you've got everything locked down? That your family does exactly... You, know, you know where we do this? Facebook. How many of you lie on Facebook? Oh, it's great. Everything in my family is awesome. My marriage is perfect. My kids are well-behaved. My house is always clean. I went to work today, and I'm so blessed. We lie on Facebook. Go ahead, Jim, show that, show that little video.
Camera, put it down. You cannot take a picture with the top of your head. Dad, that's not helping. Can you smell that out? Can you not wait five minutes? so deathly afraid of is that people will know us. And you know, we talk a good game about being authentic. Authentic is the catchphrase, right? It's the, it's the church phrase. We want to be authentic. We want people to be authentic. We want, we want to be a part of an authentic church with authentic groups. I think authentic is even in our vision statement. It's a good word, right? It's a good word. The problem is what we want is we want other people to be authentic so that we can feel pretty good about where we're at. And we want other people to be authentic while we refuse to tell people where we're at. Here's the deal. Good research tells me, men, 75% of you watch porn on a regular basis. Women, about 55 to 60% of you. 200, 190 to 200 adults, not even to mention our junior high, high school kids, right? 190 to 200 adults that call this place home, that come here on a, on a relatively regular basis to worship. I've had conversation with two men and zero women that have talked to me about their struggle with pornography. I, we want to be authentic as long as somebody else does it. I want to sit in a room of men where they'll tell me they struggle with pornography, and then I'll say, oh, this isn't all, I'm, I'm not telling them about me. Right? I can do that. Like, oh, you, you know what? Like, I love my kids. I love my kids. You know, I want to be in a room, though, where other people share their struggles with their kids. I want to keep mine to myself, because that'll make me seem like a bad dad. See, we love authenticity when somebody else does it. And we have this fear that when we get plugged in, that, that, that that's where people start to find out about us. They find out that maybe I don't believe what I thought they thought I believed, or maybe that my life isn't altogether the way they thought it was altogether, or that maybe there's some sin that I haven't quite cut out of my life and I don't want them to know about it yet, or whatever this is, we, we kind of get in this thing. We love authenticity. When somebody else does it first, 
And the problem with that is that that's not how growth happens. That's not how this works. You are the salt of the world. You're the light of the world. You don't light a lamp and then hide it under a basket. You light a lamp and you let it shine. Why do you let it shine? Because when it shines appropriately, when you're real, when you're authentic, when you get over yourself, it glorifies your Father in heaven. And then movement happens. People grow. People are challenged. People change. Authenticity is necessary if we're going to move. Okay, so when you focus, we talked about this last week, and I just want to challenge you as you get into your small groups, especially if you're leading groups, or if you, if you call yourself or you, you view yourself as a leader in any way, shape, or form, I want to challenge you with this. Focusing on your strengths, that creates competition. When you're open about your weaknesses, when you're open about your struggles, when you're open about where you have difficulty, that creates community. It just does. And so as you get into your groups or, or as, you're, as you're trying to figure out why is it that, that we're not moving, why is it that we're... You know what? When you're open and you're authentic, it creates community where people feel safe. Julia is such a great example. I want you to talk to her later. If you're struggling with this, if you're not sure how this works, I want you to talk to Julia later. There's plenty of people we could talk to, but we just saw her in the video. Julia who says, you know what? I don't like to share stuff. I don't like to, for people to know me. And, and all these fears and this anxiety that, you know what, they're going to find out about me. They're going to find out that I don't know as much as I thought or that I don't believe exactly. They're, they're going to find out all this stuff, and then what's going to happen is they're going to be done with me. They're going to judge me. They're going to cast me out. They're going to be finished with me. And, but instead what happens is, is, is Julia gets plugged in, and she gets bold, and she realizes that she doesn't have a spirit of fear. She has a spirit of boldness, and she starts to share, and she starts to open up. What happens? People come around her. People support her. People pray for her. That's how community works. That's how growth happens. It doesn't happen in isolation. It doesn't happen in a silo. Uh, but you are necessary like, okay, fine, that's all fine and good, but why do you need me? Well, I need you because you're necessary, okay? Everything about you has the divine potential to encourage someone else. You've been divorced? Declared bankruptcy? Were molested? Abused? Cheated on? Those things have the divine potential to be an encouragement to somebody else that's dealing with similar things, that's trying to process similar things. It works with your mistakes, too. You did the cheating. You had the abortion. You struggled with sexual promiscuity. You've been through that before. That has the divine potential to speak to people that struggle the same way. It all matters. It's part of what God says. It's part of what he means when he says, you know what? I'll redeem this. 
says, I didn't cause the problems to happen. I'm not happy about the problems that happened. But when problems happen, if you trust me and you follow me, I will take the problem and I will turn it into something good for those that love me and those that follow me and those that are called according to my purpose. This is part of that. You're necessary. It's not always about you. You're necessary. If I could be just a little bit blunt here, Older folks, I know some of you think I'm an older folk. I'm talking to folks older than me, whose kids are gone out of the house. Some of you are MIA, and it's driving me nuts. And so you'll sit back and you'll say, well, the church doesn't feel like it's for older people anymore, because younger people come to it. That's on you, man. Where are you? When I go to small group... I need somebody who has had their kids say, I'm not sure I believe in Jesus anymore. I think you might be nuts. I need you coming alongside of me, pouring into me, telling me how to fix it, telling me how to pray. Ah, small group's not for me, though. Maybe it's about me this time. You know, somebody's coming to small group and, and their husband has abandoned them. They need somebody that's been there, that's done that, that's struggled through that, and they need you to come alongside them. They need you to pour in. Say, ah, you know what? I don't need it to help me grow. Are you part of the community or not? There is no scenario where you don't belong. There is no scenario when you don't have something to pour in. Look, look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. He says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation, but everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Context there is talking about a whole church service, but nothing changes when we talk about a smaller community church group. Everything must be done. Everything is necessary. You bring something necessary to the table. There are times in our lives, we've talked about this so many times, but there are times in our lives when people in our small group have played such a critical role in coming alongside us and pouring into us. Why? Because we needed somebody who'd been there and experienced it, and wrestled through it, and come out of it to be able to come alongside and say, look, it's going to be okay. We needed people that believed in the God of the universe and the power of prayer to say, you know what? I will lift you up in prayer today. And I, I'm positive that we've done that for other people. But that's what we need. That's how this works. That's why we go back to that chart that we've looked at three weeks in a row. You don't get to be a nominal Christian and say, I'm taking it seriously. And you don't get to be an anonymous Christian and say, you're taking this seriously. You are critical to the church. Everything we read, you are a light. You were designed to shine. You are critical to the church. You are necessary. You are a part of this. This is how this is supposed to work. Look at this. So whatever struggles people in the church are having right now, God has given the church, get this, this is what I need you to understand. This is, this is the big takeaway from this. 
whatever people are struggling with. God has given the church the human resources and the experiences that we need to come alongside every issue that there is. There is no struggle that someone is having at the church that God has not equipped us to handle. The problem is, sometimes we want to look at me, or Vince, or Malia, and we're going to say, well, they're the staff of the church. Or maybe we'll branch down and we'll say, okay, well, we'll look at the elders. But that's not how God has necessarily equipped every answer for every question in the church. God has given us the human resource, the experience to deal with everything that there is to deal with. If we deal, if we plug in, if we're authentic, if we share where it's wrong now and if we share where it's been wrong before and we share what God's done and we plug into each other and we lean into one another and we trust God and the Holy Spirit to shine light and we grow together, listen, there is no angst that you have that can't be met. Track this. It's part of the character of God of him being timeless. It means God exists outside of time. Okay? That means, and I'm making stuff up. It's not like somebody sat down in my office this week and said, Matt, I'm struggling with this. Completely making something up, but something completely plausible. I want you to track this with me now. God exists outside of time. So there's nothing that's happening that God hasn't um, seen or understood, nothing that will happen that God doesn't know is going to happen. And it's not because God's really smart. It's because God exists outside. God's really smart too. Please don't misunderstand me. But God exists outside of time. So if you're here and you're pregnant and, and you're not married and you don't want to be pregnant and you're struggling with what to do about that pregnancy, Should I face the embarrassment, the potential ridicule, and have this baby? Do I try to quietly have an abortion? What do I do? If that's you, if you're here, and you're, you're pregnant, and you don't want to be pregnant, that doesn't catch God off guard. Caught you off guard. Might catch me off guard. Doesn't catch God off guard. And do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, I can tell you that there are people in this church who've had abortions and then dealt with the emotional turmoil of that, really wrestled through it, and can pour into you about what it's done to them emotionally, spiritually. And I can tell you this too. There are people here who've chosen to have children, face the ridicule, face the embarrassment, and have seen God honor and work through that. What I'm saying to you is that there, and, and that's just one made up little thing, but there is no need in the church that the church, because God is awesome and he exists outside of time, that the church is not well equipped to help us deal with if we will just get over ourselves and really be authentic. 
Like, Matt, why do you harp on small groups so much? Because I've been there and I've done it. Because you've heard week after week from people that have been there and done it. If you've missed weeks and you're not sure, go back, go to, go to our YouTube channel. Check out our Facebook page. You'll see the testimonies of uh, now um, countless people. Well, I guess that's not countless. I can count them. It's like six. <laughs> but there were more. We just had to pick some of people that have plugged in and they've seen something happen, something they didn't expect. But it happens when you're authentic and it happens when you plug in and it happens when you understand that God exists outside of time and he puts you where he puts you by design, on purpose. There's a great, we, we won't get too far into it, but there's a great story in scripture. Esther. Book of Esther, where Esther finds herself, for some random set of circumstances, married to the king of Persia. Now, why in the world Esther, a Jewish girl, would end up being married to the king of Persia, there's no reasonable explanation. Well, there's an explanation, but it's not reasonable. What happens is the king's wife um, decided, because the king got drunk at a party, and ordered her, man, that's a bad idea, getting drunk, not a good idea, getting drunk and ordering your wife, even worse. Okay, he ordered her to perform, you can fill in the blanks as to what you think that means, for some of the members of the court. She refused, that's not something you get to do, to refuse the king, and so the king has her exiled, and so that uh, he saves face um, with he decides that he will exile her and he will marry. And he holds a beauty pageant and Esther just happens to win the beauty pageant. And so she gets to be the new queen. Random set of circumstances. You might say, oh, that's weird. You know, good for her. I'm not sure it was, but, but good for her. Um, you know, her life certainly got a little bit easier, maybe a little more complicated all at the same time, but, but things are good. Except here's what happens. Shortly after that, one of the high-ranking officials in um, Xerxes' court. Not Xerxes. Help me. That's it? I was right? Yes. Um, one of the high-ranking officials in Xerxes' court hatches a plan to eliminate Jews off the face of the earth. So get this. Now, we have this Jewish girl who has no worldly value. We know she's valuable, but she has no worldly value, right? This, this Jewish girl, and we get, the, we get the sense that she's orphaned, who ends up, because God exists outside of time, ends up being queen, having the ear of the king, just before somebody hatches a plan to exterminate Jews off the face of the earth. And her uncle Mordecai comes to her and says, you have to do something. And she says, oh, I can't. I can't. And he says to her this, he says, and who knows, but that you've come into your royal position for such a time as this. Meaning that what he's saying to her is that stop and think about this. Do you really think that it was coincidence that you became queen 
just at this point in time? Or do you suppose that God knew what was going to happen? Because God exists outside of time, and he has positioned you perfectly to deal with this. What that means for you, church, is that with all due respect, you need to get over yourself. If you're signed up for small group, when you go to your small group, you need to get over yourself and you need to be bold and you need to be open and you need to get plugged in and you need to put your growth first, you need to put your spiritual life first and you need to stop pretending. What it means if you're not plugged into small group, that maybe you need to stop worrying about all the reasons why you shouldn't be plugged into small group and you need to get plugged into small group because just perhaps, maybe it's not even about you at this point in time, but perhaps God is positioning things for such a time as this. It's not overly complicated when we step back and we say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to let God be God and we're going to get plugged in. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we just, you know, as we wrap up this series, as we, as we finish up with, with these conversations about small group, we just God, we just ask that you continue to push us all in a pattern and trajectory of growth. That you help us to decide that you are worth it. That if we are truly going to follow you, that it requires action and boldness. But that's okay because you've given us a spirit of boldness. God, we pray that you'll instill in our hearts a desire to move forward. Father, we just love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. And we pray for these groups as they start this week. Father, we pray for the leaders who, who many of them have stepped out of their comfort zone to say that, that, that they'll step out in faith and they'll lead. Father, we pray for the church. We pray that we'll see revival happen. We pray that we will see hearts turned to you. We pray for the community that we live in, that, that there will be a, a, a swelling, a turning of the tide where people turn their hearts to you and away from, from things of destruction where they, they embrace you and, and, and who you are and what you have for them. God, we know that's where true peace and joy comes from, things that people are searching for. Father, ultimately, we just pray that you have your way. We love you. And we praise you. Amen. All right, at this point, that's my bad. Uh, as we get close to the end of the service, ask the praise team to come up, ask the ushers to come forward. I want to tell you if you're visiting with us today, you are under no obligation to participate in the offering. What I'd love for you to do. Um, is if you wanted to fill out that connection card at the bottom of your bulletin, drop that in the offering plate as it goes by. That would be a great way for you to participate. But don't forget to swing by the Welcome Center at the end of the service. Um, we got a gift for you, our way of saying thanks uh, for joining us in worship. And as we pray for the offering this morning, uh, also want to take a second and we want to be praying uh, for what's happening in the world. Uh, we want to be praying for what's happening in in. Houston, we want to pray for Florida. We want to pray for um, we want to pray for God to be God. 
in a world that seems out of control, that seems chaotic, we want to pray that God will do what only God can do. So would you pray with me, uh, and then we'll stand and we'll sing uh, and dismiss. Heavenly Father, God, we, we come before you this morning and we thank you. We thank you for this offering that, that we're about to receive. Uh, we ask that you take it and that you multiply it and that you use it in real, powerful, tangible ways to make inroads into the community that we live in, to share the gospel with people that need to know the gospel, to bring relief where there's hurting and suffering, to bring light where there's darkness and hope where there is none and life where there's death. God, those are things that only you can do. And, and you give us an opportunity to be a part of that. We thank you. And Father, we don't just pray again for, for our offering, uh, but, but we pray for, for every Bible-believing, Christ-focused church, every church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, that you would bless them for the same reason, so that we could see the kingdom move in our community. And Father, we take a minute and we pray. We pray for a broken world. We, we pray mercy instead of destruction. Father, we pray for, for people that are still experiencing all of the hardships from Hurricane Harvey, and we pray uh, in anticipation um, of what's to continue happening with Hurricane Irma. Father, we pray for safety. We pray for, for uh, mercy. We pray for relief workers. Father, we pray for Mark, as, Mark Johnson as he prepares to, to fly to Florida and be a part of that effort and, and, and many others from around the country that are doing the same thing. Father, we pray for, for people to give generously in relief efforts and, and compassion. But most importantly, Father, we pray that you be honored and that you be glorified in this tragedy that people will turn to you. Father, we pray in anticipation that you have put people in place and you have put circumstances in place, not because you're causing this, but Father, because you exist outside of time so that, that people can say that, that they were in position for just such a time as this. Father, we pray blessing on that entire mess. Father, we pray for the sermon series that starts next week about the character of God and the cultural challenges to him. Father, we pray that, uh, that you will bless that and that you'll empower that and that you'll use that to bring people to real faith and to discover joy in a relationship with you, the God of the universe. And Father, we ask those things knowing that all of our answers in Christ Jesus or yes, knowing that you are ready and willing to bless us when we pray things in your name, not your literal name, but in, in, in the power of your name and in your will. So God, we pray those things and we trust you. Amen.